Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Jingle bells, Batman smells, robbing flew away. Okay, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's um, the Christmas, uh, it's a Christmas sci fi pulse podcast. Um, welcome to another uh, uh, episode of SFP now with uh, myself, Ian Coggan, uh, Raisa, and Ben. How are you guys doing? Doing well, thanks. Good, thank you, Ian. Yeah, how about your good self? I, I'm good. I'm I'm full of uh, I'm full of Christmas cheer and uh, and and you know I've still managed to avoid COVID, which is which, you know touch wood. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, there's a rumor going around that we might all be in trouble because um, Santa's apparently now a super spreader. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it's not not surprising given that he goes down every every kid's chimney, you know. <laughs> And you know, go, going through those different weather conditions, it's got it's got to play head on the sinuses, doesn't it? Mm. No. Well, anyway. now, now they've got the vaccine, he's probably the first one to be treated, so he'll be all right now. Well, yeah, he, he probably will be the first one to be treated. You know, we've been so like uh, so many thousand year, years old and <laughs> and whatnot, and um, it wouldn't surprise me if he actually caused it in the first place. Quite easily, mate. I mean, um, you know, it's probably nothing to him. He's probably just taking it another off. Like, I've survived two world wars. I've survived how many, yeah. you know, like, um, <clears throat> 1918 Spanish flu epidemic. It's, it's just a blink to Santa, isn't it? Yeah, you got through the Black Death and um, and the fight, Great Fire in London and all that stuff, you know. So it's nothing to Santa. I mean, um, he got through season one of Discovery. And, you know, if you can get through that, you can get through anything. <laughs> Oh, yeah, which actually brings us on nicely to our first topic of conversation before before we go on to Christmas movies. What we're going to do today, folks, is we're going to just recap um, Star Trek Discovery and uh, Mandalorian, and then we're going to go straight into uh, our favourite Christmas films and TV specials. So we'll kick things off uh, with, uh, with Discovery <clears throat> so far, which... Um, I don't know. I think it's. I think it's getting a little better, but it's kind of gotten a little crappy as well. Given that they've promoted, even though it's only an acting promotion, as in it's not permanent, they promoted Tingy to first officer, and we we got to see uh, her first um, episode where she's acting first officer, and she's not living up to it. Not quite. And then part of the problem is the writers are also not living up to it. In addition to that, and this is a very esoteric issue, I realize, but they had this whole arc about whether Burnham is going to stay in Starfleet because she feels torn. And part of me is like, of course she's torn. She's spent her entire life inside a predestination paradox. Everything was building up to her becoming the Red Angel. So everything had to happen to be cut the way it did for her to become the Red Angel. Her entire life has been a time loop, so she hasn't been able to make choices until just now. And they're, and they're not discussing that, you know. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're just a whole assortment of issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that said, I thought the unification episode was pretty good. I, I kind of enjoyed the, uh, the, 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 the trial that, that Burnham sort of initiated. 
to um, yes, that was excellent. You know, that was excellent. That that was really that well was, done. That was how to do a sequel, basically. Yeah. Um. But. You know, it makes me wonder who's writing the the Tiggy stuff because whoever's writing the Tiggy stuff doesn't know what they're doing. Not not as of yet, no. There there may they may, may be something in there that surprises us, but they but just they're shoehorning it in so far. Yeah. Um before I let Ben in, you know, the the fact is, you know, she's been given a field she's not been she's been given sort of like a, a temporary promotion to uh, to acting first officer. Uh, whereas in any sort of like uh, naval ship, to be first officer, you have to attain the rank of commander. Yes. You know? um, yeah. Unless unless the ship comes under heavy attack and loses a majority of its nine officers to a point where you've only got a captain and perhaps um, a whole load of ensigns left. And even yeah. then, it'll be the most experienced ensign that will get made the, the acting first officer. In, in that situation, yeah. it wouldn't be someone who's, um, you know, I mean, that said, I suppose 10 years in that experience, dancing because she's served three years. She has. She has. She's 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 almost um, where Comini's character on Star Trek Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, I blanked on his name, Miles O'Brien. Miles O'Brien. She, she's almost where Miles O'Brien is, but not quite. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to pass that on. Pass this on to Ben because he's you know, like he's biting his tongue here. Yeah. No. Um, I mean, uh, to be honest, I was um, very interested in what both of you said. You know, and I couldn't agree more. And I think we're all sort of singing off the same hymn sheet. And um, I thought rather than sort of like pipe up, I'd hear what you guys have to say, and then. Um, you know, try and put a different spin on it. But, like, truth be told, um, I know there is a different spin. And I think, you know, I can only, I don't I don't want to just make points that I've made in the reviews as, as I've been reviewing the series. Um, I think the first point sort of, like, is, all right, you know, it's been done and we can talk about that. But the next episode, which was today, you know... Um, I don't want to give too many spoilers, especially for any UK Netflix subscribers who haven't watched it tomorrow. This was the episode, and if it's not this one, it's got to be the next one. Something big's got to come of it. Whether we like it or not, it's been done. Move on, we accept that. But at least make it worthwhile. You know, give us something. Um, and I think to try and think about why it was done, the short answer, I think, is that there was simply no other character that had been developed at all, except for Tilly a little bit, which really does show the weakness of the first couple of seasons and I know they're moving away from that and it's getting better now but I think that though they'll defend the decision it was almost a forced move because they're paying the, the, pay the penalty for developing no characters at all you know yeah Ben yeah. Just, a, just a quick note mate don't worry about spoiling us because it usually takes us about a week from recording these to actually get them on the air so don't worry about spoiling us you know you know you can you can give the entire plot away if you want, and to give the entire plot away, um, in this episode, Michael Burnham dies. It's horrible. <laughs> it's 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 really it's really horrible, and I was heartbroken that that Michael Burnham got killed. You know, um, and, yeah, and, and it turns out that um, Grudge is really wharf in disguise. You know, and he's, he's time travelled. Mm. Yeah, but no, how, did you not see that bit? No, no, I didn't. But how do you know? How do you know it's not Odo having time travelled to the past to the future? 
Well, to be honest with you, you know, um, it'd still be bad in season one if that was the case. <laughs> it would. Well, um, I think it's difficult because these things happen. As you know, guys, I've written a couple of articles about it. Um, the first article that we wrote, I wrote, I was sort of like predicted that it was going to happen. And, um, and in the second article, I sort of assessed the fact that it had. And the point that I made that I stand by was a full promotion to Lieutenant Junior Grade would have been worthy of like almost a whole episode, you know, and have a journey and do that. And it would have meant more. It wouldn't have been a token and it would have been meaningful and it could have really given us something, you know, outside Burnham and Saru and Giorgio. Um, it, it would have given us like the first proper full start of a story out for another character, but for whatever reason, they didn't choose to do that, you know? Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, quickly, while we're on the subject of Star Trek still, I mean, you know, I think Discovery, the episodes have been pretty good uh, thus far, with the exception of the uh, of the whole Tiggy thing. Um, my criticism of it is it's it's too Michael Burnham centric, and I think I think they need to move away from that now. It, it was okay as the initial setup of the show, but you know you got other characters, and these other characters need developing. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like you know, I didn't particularly think today's episode was a strong one but to be fair in the run of like i don't know how many episodes this series is i think it's 15 16 15 um in the run of the series you're gonna get one or two episodes that aren't you know so i wasn't overly harsh because it's been, there's been some really strong episodes so far you're allowed the doozy you know all shows have it in a long series which is fair enough but what what really came through today was when detmer was on her own little sort of mission it just seemed like you can't, you want to care for her more, but you don't know enough about her to care for her, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. You, she's been kind of a blank snake, as is her fellow officer, the uh, the black lady that sort of like serves alongside her. She's been kind of a blank snake as well. And in, in, the, in the original series, you know, um, Chekhov and Sulu were that role, and I know, right, in the films they brought them into it, but like, it was pronounced with that role, but in this, what's awkward is, the series doesn't treat them like they're just there for actors. It treats them like they're important, but doesn't give them any story. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about them, you know, they're there at key moments. They're all like this big family. And for a really crowded show, you can't just have people that are extras, you know. you need Things need to happen. And even if a lot doesn't happen, I mean, even even sort of like smaller characters, like even Nog and Deep Space Nine, even Wesley Crusher, even Guinan, they still had more of a backstory than they did, really, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, and you even knew what the hobbies were. I mean, for example, you knew that Wesley Crusher was an out-and-out geek, and just uh, just enjoyed wrecking the ship so he could fix things at the last minute in every episode. Um, and then when he did have an episode, when he when he did have a moment, it was a big moment like with the traveller and that, or guy and with Q. You know, there was a big. They were there for a reason. They weren't just spare parts. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, talking about characters. Um, you sent me something a couple of days ago, Ben, uh, about uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and they've announced um, some characters, and it's basically this is just casting call sheet for the characters that have not been cast. And I'm going to read, read these out, and, uh, you know, I'm going to discuss, but I'm also going to read out, uh, I'm also going to talk about a concern I've got which is the fact that it seems that they're casting these new characters and overlooking characters that are already that 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 had already served on on a Pike's Enterprise. You know, you got you had a Yeoman JM Colt 
you had a Lieutenant Jose uh, yeah, Tiger. I, mean, I, I have what's original team. I'd, I'd be very interested to hear what Raisha has to say about that as a, as a, a fellow long-term Star Trek fan, you know. You know, you had Doctor Thing at Voice. You know, did, did... Yeah, I had I had actually gotten to see it. So I'm not sure. I'll have to wait until she reads it out. Okay, well, the new, the new characters that are going to be joining the crew of, of Star Trek Strange New Worlds are Yeboa, um, who is an African-American rookie fresh out of the Academy. She's in her early 20s, making her the youngest member of Enterprise. She's a linguistics genius and the brightest of the lot. Her accent could be American or otherwise. These are just casting call sheets, um, by the way. Uh, another character is called Lan. Um, I'm not sure if that's enunciated correctly because it's basically a L-A uh, apostrophe A-N. Um, she is in her early 30s and is the head of security. Uh, the network wants the actor to be an East Indian Asian or Middle Eastern Eastern. Lan suffers from PTSD. She's a badass warrior. Um, who has had ample experience fighting in the battlefield. Then we've got Ortegas, uh, who's um, a Latin woman, um, who is in her late 20s. She is an experienced vet. The character has maintained a dry sense of humour to help her cope with the amount of combat she, she has seen. She's funny and smart as heck. Uh, from the looks of it, the character looks pretty similar to Riker, who could crack a joke and skung at the same time. And then we've got Biodun, who's the Doctor, and he's the ship's Doctor. Biodun is within the Captain's inner circle of trust. He's black in his 40s and has an air of eridation around him. Um, this character is the greatest puzzle of them all. Um, and then we've got someone called Minger. This character is clearly based on Dot's Crusher. She's of a heart of sickbay in her late 20s to early 30s. Minger is Caucasian and very open-minded. Now, you know, as you, as you can tell from all these characters, are quite diverse in different races, you know, which is good and, and more of our diversity. Yeah. But what, what, what's bugging me is um, these characters such as uh, Dr. Thingit Boyce, Jose Tanger and um, Yeoman J.M. Cole and um, Transporter Chief Pitcairn, who were in the cage... Um, three of which were quite prominent characters within the cage um, that didn't even get a mention. Now, I'm a kind of assuming that uh, this this uh, Strange New World is set during the first five years of Pike's mission. And I'm, I'm kind of charitably assuming that um, these the other characters come in I'm assuming later I'm assuming it's, I'm assuming it's, it's the second five years actually because they talked about being in space already for five years to stay out of the war mm, well maybe, maybe maybe he was in space for 15 years maybe he did three tours as the Enterprise captain maybe I, I don't know I mean it's sort of like um, it's, some, it's kind of a little unclear in, in, in the canon anyway because we, we've already sort of like seen yeah. Pike in one, one, one classic episode and, and an animated show um, I think, but it's just so like it's kind of bugged me that these other characters have, have just so like been been disregarded, and I'm hoping that they will bring them in at some point. Um, I'm wondering what you guys think. I think I think you could be right, but I think we'll have to see what we're actually given before we can make any judgments because it might be perfectly, or it could be a complete mess. Um, well, it won't be anything in between. It'll be it'll be one or the other. 
Well, it'll be a complete mess if they don't bring him in because Finnick Boyce, the uh, chief medical officer, he had quite a big scene with Pike in in the cage. Um, as in, he was acting as as the captain's psychologist, as well as doctor, and um, you know, that's right. He, he had quite a big scene in it. Also, uh, Tiger had had quite quite a lot to do in the in the cage as well. Um, you know, he, he wasn't by any means a, a well rounded character, so like he came across as quite fresh and and new to to, to proceedings because he was looking to number one quite a bit um, in in the episode, yeah. but. J.M. Colt, Yeoman Colt, had an even bigger bloody scene because she was crushing on she was crushing on Pike, and she, along with Number One, were actually was actually used as kind of a plot device to sort of like uh, towards the end of the cage. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so, you're right. So I think um, I think they've got to include these characters at some point, otherwise it's it's not canon. I think like what's even more important is. The reason the, I think they really, the, you know, oh, yes, they are canon, but what makes it even worse if they don't include them, in my opinion, is that, you know, uh, the original series to make, make another pilot, but then in a few episodes later, episode seven or eight or whatever it was, I can't remember, but they, they went back and explained the story, didn't they, so that they gave it some sort of, like, closure. Yeah, they, they um, repurposed You know, why it. things were different. They, they, um, they repurposed the, uh, the cage in the menagerie part one and two. As you said, um, and yeah, and, and, and you know they have sort of like Pike in it and Pike's story and everything like that. Now that's one thing, but in in sort of series two of Discovery, they sort of really, really made the effort and chose the thing to say, yeah, we did this, and then they had footage of the second pilot again and stuff like that. So it's like now you can't. You've made your decision that it is all canon and that you're going to sort of like tie it all up. You know what I mean? Making the decision 35, 40 years ago, that's one thing. But this, but when they made the decision in Discovery Season 2, to me, that is saying it ties them in. That they don't really have much choice to do that, otherwise it's just going to look daft. Yeah, mm. the, only, the only explanation I can think of is that because the first five years was then and kept the war, the cage would have then taken place during those first five years and those crew members then left. I see, yeah. Yeah, we know. Yeah, no, that, that that would make sense. Um, I, I don't know, you know, clinical characters. I'm not saying that I know a great deal about the characters that sort of didn't end up being part of the franchise. But you know, dig around on the internet. There must be books and stories about those other characters out there, anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're going to have to they're going to have to acknowledge them, even if they don't include them. It'll be interesting. Well, to see how definitely, you know, they've they've got all right. You know, it became sort of like sparking bones and everything like that and and that's what we know as Star Trek but those can those those characters were still the product of Gene Roddenberry's imagination and that's important you know yeah, yeah. They, they need to yeah. acknowledge them they, they need to be at least acknowledged yeah. um, you know in, even if it's a throwaway line where, where Pike um, is is uh, unsure of his new doctor um and 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 misses misses uh, consulting with Boyce or something like that. You know, even yeah. if it's a throwaway line, it needs yeah. to be there. You know, because yeah. I think they, like Raice said, the, the best way to do it would be to explain it was the five years before, and that's that's fine then to have these new characters come in. Um, I, I mean, you know, whilst we're talking Star Trek, you know, whilst I sort of like isn't certainly not my favourite in the franchise. 
Um, Star Trek Lower with that incredible job of referencing like everything. You know, whatever else you can say about the show, it got in all the canonical stuff. Like, you know what I mean? In in, in one episode, you had sort of like every series referenced in a 24-minute episode, you know, which was one of the stronger parts of the show, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben actually braved Noah Dex. I didn't bother. <laughs> Neither did I. I watched the first yeah, episode. I mean, you know, it's it's um once you get over what it is, you have to watch it on its own strengths and that. And um, it wasn't dreadful, you know. I don't want to say it was amazing, like you know, but in its own way, it was a good show. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and it ended with a Riker and Troy appearance. So yeah, I mean, it's um I don't really have guilt. Because if I like something, I like it, and I'm not really bothered what people think because I'm watching it and I'm enjoying it. But yeah, I suppose um, as guilty pleasures go, I'm probably I'm not not looking forward to season two. Put it that way, I will watch yeah. it. You know. Mm-hmm. But uh, getting back to to Brave New World, yeah, I think that um, you know the, the, these characters sort of you know fans have been annoyed enough by what's gone on in Discovery, and, and they need to sort of like realise that they're really sort of messing with what sort of some people is is very special to fans you know and uh yeah. gotta, you can change it you know that you want you know what i mean have prime different timelines and do that but you've at least got to acknowledge that it happened otherwise people will fall out with it very quickly before you can get us off the ground yeah yeah okay well um on on that note um now now that we've uh, kind of gotten gotten through with discussing uh what uh a lot of the right wing uh, part of the fan base are calling woke trek. <laughs> um, should, mm-hmm. should we go on to the Mandalorian? Yes. Okay. Well, this this is my favourite like part. Of the show. Pardon? It sounds like a great idea to me. Yeah. Let's, um, I think we've done enough. Um, okay. Discovery for now, haven't we? So let's let's yeah. talk about a show that really is going places. Well, right. Ma- Mandalorian's been kicking butt for the last uh, for the last two three weeks, I think. Um, I mean, the last time we 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 discussed Mandalorian, it was a a day or so before uh, the uh, the episode um, with with the with the other Mandalorians coming into it, um, and you know uh, the 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 name of Katie Sackhoff's character is now escaping me. Bogatan. <laughs> Bogatan. That's the one. Bogatan. Sorry, Bogatan, not Bogatan. Bogatan. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I thought that was an excellent episode um, in 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 terms that it kind of a uh, you know it it kind of explained um, why 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 he, why he couldn't take his helmet off because it was part of a um, of a cult of of Mandalorians that split off from the main, um, which Bo-Katan used to be a member of as well, um, because uh, <laughs> because she 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 was a member of that. Uh, that clan in the um, in the Star Wars Clone um, Wars series, I think, which is how how she knew about it. But it's just yeah. um, it, it's just been really uh, re- really good. And um, last week's episode uh, where we got to um, got to meet a so a Tanu um, with Rosario Dawson playing a role that was excellent. And um, we got a really big reveal in by by the end of that episode. In that we may be seeing Grand Admiral Thrawn again, who's who, ah. who we've not seen since re- since the end of Rebels. So that's that's pretty big. That'll be cool. That'll be cool. I didn't have time for the animated spin-off shows, so I am thankful that they're bringing in enough of that mythology for 
for the primary live action audience to follow along. Yeah, well, I think the thing is with Grand Admiral Thrawn, he's another character. He was actually from the um, from the Timothy's Arm box, you know, when Timothy's Arm did a series of books which were set shortly after the Empire Strikes Back, and he introduced Grand Admiral Thrawn into those as as somewhat of a of, of a worthy replacement to a you know to is is a very sort of like Moriarty ish sort of character, as in is this genius military mind sort of thing and he's got he's got blue skin he's from he's from a planet which is just outside the outer rim sort of thing so he he, he was actually bought in um as a as 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 a as, as a stopgap in the star wars legends universe uh which was set, you know set after after um after the events of return jedi um you know during, during you know Luke Skywalker's uh early days of being a Jedi master sort of thing but it wasn't you know uh-huh. he, 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 we didn't actually see him on the screen until Rebels which was actually set just before A New Hope it was sort of like set in 10 you know 10 5 years before the events of A New Hope oh, okay so you know and What's interesting is when Disney took over Star Wars, they kind of uh, they kind of said, "Well, this is a Legends timeline, and we're not gonna we're not gonna use any of that. Um, we don't we no longer consider that canon, and that upset a lot of fans." Uh-huh. But you know, it's, it's it's interesting that 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 they're actually dipping into the uh, Legends universe and bringing characters out of the Legends universe and and putting them into the the Disney universe of Star Wars. Um, you know, which means that the Legends universe couldn't be that bad, bad after all. So why, 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 why strap it? You know. But Ben, Ben, what you've, what you've been thinking of it? I mean, again, you know, I'm, I'm um, I I feel like if I was asked, I could talk about Star Trek for hours. But Star Wars, not so much. But um, I again, like my user, I haven't um, watched the animated series, but. Um, what I will say is, you know, I, I don't want to fall into a sort of thing of like slating the Millennium Trilogy as it's known, you know, um, but, you know, I don't want to go over old ground and, you know, we're not here to talk about why those films are bad. But what I think is important is, and what's really coming into fruition now is that this animated series, though I may not have seen it, it's quite clear that the reason that's being relied on is because there was loads of things developed. And in those films, there wasn't really anything developed with the exception of, you know, like the, the Django Fett and General Grievous. There mm-hmm. really aren't any characters or any mythology to draw on because it was all focused on the politics of it, you know? And I think that's, the re- you know, you've spoken to me at length and told me that, you know, the animated series sort of like basically fixed a lot of the problems and the problems were that not a lot happened in terms of expanding the world in the Millennium Trilogy, you know. Yeah, e- e- even in the even in the, the the recent trilogy, and and as well as the the Clone Wars trilogy to 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 an extent, um, the Clone Wars animated series actually fixed a lot of the problems with the with the Clone Wars trilogy for me. Um, and knowing that it was actually better written and, and it was actually better acted, you know the um, the you know Matt Lanter who um, I think he I think he voiced um, Anakin Skywalker in it um you know was a lot less wooden than than Hayden Christiansen was and that's you know but then again Matt Lanter's just providing the voice to an animated character 
But you know the thing is, you know, you can you you can usually tell a good voice performer because you can when when you're watching a vo- when you're watching someone, you know, an animation and you're hearing the voice of the character come through so strongly, you can almost imagine the voice performer gesticulating in the sound booth as they're delivering these lines, sort of thing. And and that's what that's what you get when you listen to you know just Magnanta doing doing Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, it's a good point you make that about that. And um, you know, just on a tiny little side note, that I'll just leave a very a very short statement is that was also you write about the voice acting in um, you know in lower decks like whatever else was bad or good about the show, the voice acting was tremendous, and you and you really do notice it, you know, because there's no person there on the screen. It really you can't really hide. You know what I mean. You've got other pe- people in a show to make you want to sort of like fill in someone with more presence with the screen. But when it's voice acting, it's got to be top of the game on it. You know. Mm. It, it it certainly does mean you know um, you know Robin Williams was awesome at it. Um, there's a lot of um, you know there's, there's a heck of a lot of you know Rosario Dawson's really good at it. I mean she she's done Wonder Woman God knows how many times and. You know, and every time she's done it, she's been believable. But then again, you know, uh, Mark, I've, I've Mark had a, Hamill's I've, another one. Yeah, about Star Wars. Mark Hamill's done the, the Joker. Is it? He's played in some quite a few computer games. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you know, I remember Mark Hamill when he was in the Wing Commander games, and that wasn't voice work. That was actual uh, physical role. <laughs> but you know, he. Um, because the yeah, it was cutscenes. The 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 original Wing Commander games back in the nineties. Uh, and I think he, I think they started it with Wing Commander Two, and uh, Hamill played the uh, the main the main pilot in that, the main hero sort of thing. Um, and Malcolm McDowell was in it as well, as well as John Reese Davis. Um, I think like to, um, I think to sort of like you know to to bring it sort of back to um, Mandalorian, to sort of kind of keep us on track. Um, I think what works really well in the show. Most original movies, whereas the storylines were relatively straightforward, which is part of what made them so good and enjoyable, sort of just adventures and sort of romance and whatever else. Um, there was this massive world, you know what I mean? And you really do feel like the Mandalorian, especially because it's set around the same time. You really do feel like all it's doing is going around and finding out what else was going on. And I don't know how they've managed to do that so, so well to just make you feel like you're in the original world of the films again. You know, The awesome thing about it, though, is Mandalorian seems to be tying up the, uh, the loose ends between the, end of, between the end of Jedi and the beginning of The Force Awakens. Because you, when, if you noticed in the yeah. episode Siege, when, um, when they uh, do the raid on the Imperial base on the planet... You had those uh, clones, didn't you, in the um, in in the, in the tanks and stuff and stuff like that, uh, which could well have been, you know, sort of like uh, any versions of Snoke, who who was a clone. Um, you also had a little, you know, there was there was all sorts of there was all sorts of little things like when that scene was playing and you seen those tanks with the clones in. Uh, you you actually heard in the soundtrack the um, the same sort of like music that would play when Snoke was on the screen in in the films, oh, but it was actually okay. it was actually oh. taken down a few octaves, but it was the same music. There was all yeah, sorts I of little Easter eggs there, and you know the you know it's almost as if the Mandalorian is um, 
it's you know like the the uh, the, the, the rebel the rebel that swing fighter that was talking to um oh he was, he was talking to the other the other rebel that sort of left uh, the one played by Gina Carano um he was talking to her at the end oh of yeah Cara Dune Cara Dune yeah. yeah um he you know he was saying that you know this this there's something more going on here. And, you know, and yet him and his partner, the only resource that are in that area, you know, from the New Republic and, and this, this this stuff going on there that they're not, not knowing about. And it's basing him off Gideon, um, who is more, um, who is more than, uh, who's more than likely under the form of um, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh-huh. Uh, I think Ben, you're coming in then. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think what's, what, what's, so fantastic about without refreshing about the Mandalorian is that you know uh, to reiterate that point you know in the original movies you know brilliant in so many ways but it was good guys versus bad guys the end you know and sort of like a round circle story where at the end of it Luke's on the good side and all that but what sort of the Mandalorian does is it says regardless of whether the Empire was evil or not once it's gone there's all these power vacuums you know like yeah they're ruled by oppression and all that but it was also the reality of how things are rather than looking at it from a good or bad point of view. Yeah, because they, they kept the system running. Yeah, no longer good or bad. Like, the, the, there was stability, there was structure, there was, like, you know, there will be a certain amount of people's lives that are probably worse because the Empire's not there. That isn't to say they should have stayed, but that's the reality of the situation, isn't it? The, the machine was going, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 been it's been such a great series, and um, I think we've only got three episodes left now before it wraps for the season. That sounds about right. Yeah. So you know, I'm, is that, is that, is that quick? yeah, it's only on for um, it's, it, it's only got eight episodes a season. Eight. Yeah. So I think I think we, we might be talking. I think we might be talking about yeah. the last two. Oh, see it going on for ten seasons or so, you know, because it's building everything so slowly, and what the Mandalorian's really good at. It tells the story of the episode, and give and it and it's building the other outside bits really, 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 really slowly, you know. But doing it so well, so it's keeping you intrigued to watch what the bigger picture is. But it doesn't detract from problem of the week. And I think that combination is the balance of those two things that makes the show so good. The mm-hmm. larger story arc and the story building in the world, the basic escapism of watching a problem being resolved every week yes yes yeah and uh, and i think yeah i think one of the story arcs is uh we're building to uh t- towards seeing another another uh, large scale battle take place uh between the remnants of the empire and uh mandango yeah, yeah. which is why bo has been brought into it you know, because she's sort of like the true heir to but Bo- she's yeah. like the true heir to mandango wow like, so you know what's I mean, happening that was seriously cool yes she was just amazing. Like, the, I don't honestly go even including Darth Maul. Like, that was the coolest Jedi scene I've ever seen. It was just amazing. It was mesmerising to watch. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to the you know what's left of it uh, this year, and um, obviously we'll, we'll touch on the uh, on on Star Trek and this again in January when we return. But I think now it's time to get on to the uh, get on to the Christmas uh, films and TV specials. So we we'll start off with films, and uh, who wants to, who wants to come up with their first choice? Right, you still I'd love to hear what yours are. Um, let's see. I my first choice. I don't know whether this qualifies as a film or TV because it was it aired on TV, but it had the kind of scope of a of a of a uh, 
of a, of a uh, performance film, but I grew up watching um, Mikhail Baryshnikov's Nutcracker every year, which I have on DVD and adore. And it's one of the ways I know it's Christmas. So, yes, also um, Disney's uh, um, Nightmare Christmas. Adore that one. Um, I, I'd like to see the Nutcracker. I've seen Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, you know, I think most people have probably seen that at some point or other, but... Um, you know, I know the basic story of the Nutcracker, but um, yeah, I'd have to. I'd, I'd love to watch it. It's not one that I've seen. It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like, um, you know, there's. I love Christmas films, and the one thing I have watched every year, regardless of anything else, is the Snow One, because I've watched it every year since I was four or five. And um, yeah, there's nothing that's quite as magical. You know, even It's a Wonderful Life, which I also love, but the Snow Man is the one that really does it. Mm hmm. Okay, well, um, you just mentioned one of my favourites, um, and It's a Wonderful Life. Um, and for me, It's a Wonderful Life um, is made in 1947. Um, Jimmy Stewart, who plays the role of George Bainey, he'd just gotten out of the US Air Force at the time after having served uh, during the Second World War. And, you know, the... the it kind of... Uh, the, the, the trauma and the lived experience of... Uh, his wartime service kind of shows up in the character of George Bainey. Um, you know, in in the performance, it's it's almost like uh, it, it's sort of parallel to what the experience would have been for him because he did actually he he actually saw combat when he was one of the few Hollywood actors mm. that did see combat um, because a lot of them kind of got off easy mm. in, in you know making infomercials and stuff like that. Um, Whereas um, there was there was so few that actually saw you know saw, saw the front lines, um, but the, the the reason I love the film is is it became a tradition in my house growing up where my uh, my dad introduced us to the film in the um, in in the seventies and early eighties, and we'd watch it every Christmas Eve together as a family. And um, it's, it's something we carry on to this day. My my sister and I uh, on Christmas Eve, I go to my sister's place, and we will watch It's a Wonderful Life. And we you know we 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 have my nephew and niece sat down watching it with us, um, along with um, along with my sister's husband. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a family tradition that's carried on through. And it is it's just a wonderful movie. I mean, it's 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 full of it, it's full of. Um, it's it's basically got every every ingredient in it uh, of of a, what what should be a good Christmas movie, you know. It's it's kind of like a it's kind of like a nugget of life. It encapsulates um, you know lived experiences beautifully. Mm, yeah, yeah. Some performance by Jimmy Stewart, you know, it's really up there. I mean, you know, when you. When you look at the joy at the end of it, you know, but you look at the misery that depicts, and that's a very, very visceral, powerful performance for me. You know, it seriously is like, you know, one of the performances I'd say, you know, possibly even ever. Like, I know that's a big statement, but it's up there. Like, you know, it's a, it's a seriously impressive bit of acting. You know, it absolutely is. I mean, the bit where the bit where he saw like uh, he goes off at his wife, and then he goes off at his kids. And stuff like that, you know that George Bainey, you know, shit's gone wrong. Yeah. You know, shit has gone wrong from there. 
and and you can you can see in 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 in, in his face it's dark yeah. it's really dark it's, you know you could tell that 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 he's that he's right on the ragged edge there and and if Clarence don't intervene by jumping into the uh, jumping into the lake for George to save him George would have probably committed suicide if Clarence the angel second class hadn't intervened mm. you know um it's interesting you say that, you know. Um, I'm just going to make a couple of points and then um, review that. I think a couple of points, and the second one's only just occurred to me. But, you know, when you think about a film having suicide in it, that was a serious taboo in 1947 in America, like, you know? I mean, taboo, suicide still a taboo now, but, you know, that was a massive thing. Um, and then the first point I wanted to make as well, and the second thing about the film is it was seriously, seriously ahead of its time and so social, politically and economically, you know, because it's it's a pretty left wing movie for nineteen forty, and there's not many of them. It's actually a very no, left wing no. movie. It's it's literally, you know, it's about as close to a movie about communism as you were ever likely to get. And the ironic thing is, it came out at roughly the same time as McCarthyism. Yeah, yes. just before, yeah, before the witch hunts and that. Mm. So it's, but it's it's very it's very left wing. It's um it's it's, it's very 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 to the left of uh, of of socialism, I'd say. Just, <laughs> but yeah, it's um. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're not you don't see many movies in America where like, the capitalist is depicted quite as bad as that. Especially maybe later on, you do. You know, all right, fair enough. Certainly, eighties and the nineties, start seeing it more, but. You know, I don't want to say I'm some sort of like film buff, and maybe there are other ones, but not quite to that extent, I think. Especially massively ahead of its time. You know, it's a bit of a one-off in that sense, I think. Mm. And the ironic thing yeah. is, as well, is when it came out, it was an absolute flop. It didn't perform on at cinemas at all. It was actually, yeah, it was actually put aside and forgotten about until the 1960s when it ran out of copyright, and all of a sudden it started sprouting up on network television, and it just became popular. Because it was played every Christmas. Uh-huh. And you know the story about how it was made originally. It came from a short story that nobody wanted, and a guy basically self-printed two hundred copies and sent it to his friends and family instead of a Christmas letter. Yeah, actually, you know, mate, it, it was. Just, um, it it was... just adds to the myth. The... And and the story all failed once by just being you know self-published thing, and then it's flopped again, and now it's a massive pop Christmas, and you know it's. You know what I mean? Considering the message of hope in the film, it, I don't know, it makes you think about fate and everything else. Was there some powers at work there that just said, like, humanity has to hear this story, you know? Yeah, yeah. and the story yeah. was actually based on a, on a Christmas postcard as well, um, which I think he sent along with the story. Um, actually, one of, the, one of the VHS releases of it um, is an interesting documentary uh, where the late Tom Bosley talks about the, the the making of it's a wonderful life and gives you little bits of trivia about about, about the film. It's um so it's half hour documentary and it's Tom Bosley from Happy Days talking about it's a wonderful life, which it happens to be one of his favourite films. So you know, little nice little tidbit there. They should release it on the uh, on the uh, extras on I mean, DVD. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't really want to come across as. I struggle to find anyone that doesn't like the film. I mean, what's not to love about it? You know, I, I, I think you will. I think you will find people that don't like the film, and uh, there'll be the same people that just don't like black and white films. They won't give it a chance because it's in black and white. Um, you know, and it's usually usually younger generation. But you know, it, it's a shame because they're missing out on a great film. Um, 
Another favourite film of mine is the 1951 version of Scrooge with Angster Sim. And to me, that, that That's is... That's a good one. That's that, a good one. For me, that is the uh, definitive movie version of Scrooge. Um, and I'm sorry, but uh, George C. Scott um, in the 1984 version just doesn't cut it. <laughs> you know, he's, he's pretty good, but he no, just he doesn't, doesn't cut it. No, he doesn't have to then. Um, Jim Carrey doing the voice for it in the uh, in in the animated movie doesn't cut it uh, for me. Scrooge is Angus the Sim. You know, it's all like uh, the actor just nailed it. Yeah, there's only two movies that I watch at Christmas and Scrooge in it: the Muppets Christmas Carol and that version of Angus the Sim. <laughs> That's about it for me. You know, the others can swivel. Have you not tried? <laughs> have you not tried Scrooge? Yeah. Ben. Scrooge. Well, that's a great movie. Scrooge is different, but it's a good film. Don't worry, God, you know. Yeah. What, what I love about Scrooge is it's uh, it's basically uh, it's basically meta, isn't it? As in, it's one of the first movies that you know does the thing as well. Uh, where a TV produ- TV producer is basically Scrooge uh, doing a TV production of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> it's just yeah. Uh, yes. yeah. You know, and it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's great, great performances. I just love Carol Kane when she belts him across the head with a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. It was wonderful. Uh, just a final point as well that sort of brings to mind, uh, and I meant to say this a minute ago, but I don't think anyone would ever dare to remake It's a Wonderful Life either because, you know, it's sort of like, what, it's nearly 72 years old and it's not been remade once. Um, no, actually, Ben, it has sort of. Um, in the seventies, they the they did a TV version of it, but it was a live TV version. I don't think it was ever recorded, um, and I don't think you'll find it on YouTube. But they they did a live broadcast of of it with different actors. Um, also, in the seventies, they did a film where well, there's they. There's not been any big budget ones. Not been any like, you know, there's not been a massive Hollywood rem. No, no, no. Yeah, I think it's sort of like just one of those films that's somewhat protected. You know, nobody, nobody would dare. No director worth the salt would want to try and make a better version of it. It's not possible. You know. Actually, Ben, you're wrong. You're wrong because they they have tried a few times but failed um, to get get it off the ground. Uh, But I'll I'll talk about that a little bit in 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 a second. But they did 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 a TV dramatization where George Bailey was a woman. And they they kind of inverted it. It was basically the same story, uh, but in in the form of a TV movie. Um, and I think you can find that on Prime somewhere. I can't remember what it's called, but I do remember it fairly clearly. Uh, but basically, is almost about five years back. Uh, they were talking about uh, doing a remake of It's a Wonderful Life with um, with Tom Hanks. But Tom Hanks turned it down because he didn't want to, he, he didn't, 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 didn't want to be a part of um, a remake of what he thought was such a perfect movie. Um, and after that, they were talking oh, about. And after that, they were talking about doing a sequel to "It's a Wonderful Life." Um, it got so far into pre-production, they were, they were sort of getting the money together for it, uh, but then then it was kicked into the deep grass. So there have been various attempts in recent years. Uh, to remake as well as do a sequel to it, and there is actually a sequel on Amazon Prime as well. To to it's a wonderful life. It's about Clarence. Oh, well, there's some sort of forces somewhere are stopping it from being, you know, like 
massively no, and that's my uh, <laughs> view on it anyway. You know, I didn't know about those. It's always good to learn stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, I think um, I guess like um, I suppose I meant in comparison to say, you know, America, Miracle Thirty Fourth Street or whatever, where like there's, there's numerous versions that most people have seen. Um, mm. You know, I guess it just surprised me that a film that's seventy odd years old and so iconic and so well loved and well known that there hasn't been numerous remakes. You know, it just sort of quite I find it quite pleasing, but amazing. You know. Mm. Well, yeah, you know, Miracle on 44th Street, you mentioned another favourite film there. I mean, I think that's like even one of yours. You, you enjoyed the 95 version, I think, then. Or was it, it was actually a 94 version? Um, to be honest, I think, like, I have seen the other one, one of the other ones at some point, but I think just, um, you know, I've always seen that first time round. I was 12, 13 in 1995. So, you know, I probably even got taken to the cinema to see it, you know, um you know, it's just, I guess I remember it as just as a current film, the same way I do about, like, you know, Jurassic Park or whatever else, you know, um, the Santa Claus and stuff like that. You know, it's part of my childhood, you know. Mm-hmm. Attenborough was perfect. Yeah, Attenborough was, per- was perfectly cast. Um, I mean, it, it surprises me. I just found out there was actually four versions of it. Um, they did the 1947 version, or is it 48, with Edmund Gwen. Edwin Gwen um, as Santa Claus and uh, Natalie, and young Natalie Wood as the uh, little kid and Maureen O'Hara uh-huh. as her mother. And then they, um, then they did um, a television... Do you still have a television theatre programme in, in the um, in the States? Um, one, of, one of a few, I should imagine, where they did a version of, um, of, of Miracle on 34th Street for that and they retitled it The Miracle on 34th Street and it was different cast... Uh-huh. Uh, same story, 45 minutes. And then they did um, a version in 1973 for television, which I remember seeing when I was a kid. And um, and of course, you had the 94 version with Richard Attenborough. But it's all, you know, they're, they're, all, they're all good in, in their own way. They are, they are. I mean, it's, it's just such a time, it's just such a time with sto- story and it makes you want to believe in Santa Claus every time you watch it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, like, um, other, other classics. We've got, got got lots of other classics. Did you, Ben? Did you say you was watching Jingle All the Way before you came on? Uh, the big point, really, like that I want to make about the movie is that um, that was round about the time that Arnie hadn't done anything funny for quite a while. Since then, that was I think after Twins and stuff like that. Uh, you know, other stuff. That was the first sort of comedy that he'd done in quite a while. And, um, you know, people sort of have the views of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but personally, I think he's a fine comedy actor, you know, and I think he's underrated for his comedy. I think it's um, his delivery and everything, considering that he isn't the sort of acting that he trained for when he was younger. I think he's a brilliant comedy actor, and that film sort of shows that. Yeah. He's, he's solid. He's, he is solid. Um, every year I watch... The, uh, the Grinch, the original Grinch special, the one with uh, Boris Karloff, which is adorable if you've never seen it, also on YouTube. Um, and, I'll, and, I, and in addition to that, every year now, I do um, the Campbell Playhouse, I, my 
it's uh, old time radio. So, I, so in terms of Christmas Carol, I also do the Campbell Playhouse edition, which is Orson Welles hosting and Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge from 1939. It's excellent. It's also on YouTube. And then um, as a special treat, when we get around to New Year's, I, I listen to an episode of The Shadow called The Man Who Murdered Time. And it's a New, Year, it's a New Year's themed shadow episode. That is basically um, that's basically the uh, Groundhog's Day before Groundhog's Day, and uh, the shadow has to stop a mad scientist from pushing the Earth into a permanent time loop on New Year's Eve, and it's excellent. It's really cool. And I actually I actually wrote up the Man Who Murdered Time for Sci-Fi Paul, so you should have it. I think we do. Yeah, um, I think you I think you did that last New Year's Eve actually. Um, yes. Yeah, I think my TV specials as such um, were, you know, I'd say Bionic Ever After, you know, a Bionic Christmas Carol, which is a season five episode of Sits Mingy and Dog a Man, where basically Steve Austin uh, puts this uh, corporate uh, guy to task. You know, he basically scrooges him. He does the old Scrooge routine on him. And um, and gets him to um, to start putting more, investing more money into his uh, into his factory because he's only invested enough so that he's just on the cusp of the safety safety margins, and as a result, people are actually getting hurt, sort of thing. Um, so uh-huh. there's that one. Um, I'd say the MacGyver episode, The Madonna, which is a season five uh, episode uh-huh. of MacGyver. Um, involving the Challenger Centre, which is a, a youth club, and the Challenger Centre's putting on this uh, uh-huh. Christmas show to raise money to keep the Challenger Centre going, but there's a, a developer trying to buy them out. And um, and the, the the Madonna at this uh, church goes missing, and, you know, the, it's, it's a, you know, really, really nicely set up and done. And um, another Christmas thing, um, well, you know, that's still a Christmas thing that I really hated. Um, well, didn't hate it, but, you know, because it was actually good for what it was, but um, it didn't really feel very Christmassy. It was the, uh, was the Christmas Carol that I did last year with Guy Pearce. I hated that thing. I will never watch it again. I understood why they did it. I understood it from an internal logic standpoint, but from, a, from an entertainment standpoint, it just made me want to put my head through a wall. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's what I think that's probably what they're going for because everything seems to be quite nihilistic now. <laughs> yeah, I think when, it, when when something as big as sort of Scrooge comes out with a big production by the BBC, the BBC sort of like on the world stage, it's got to be amazing. You know what I mean? It's got to hit the nail on the head, and I don't think it did anything that was different. It tried to do something different, but it it didn't really um, didn't do it for me either, guys. You know. Yeah. Hmm. I said that I only watched two Scrooges, but I forgot that I also will the uh, um, Blackadder Christmas special, which is also a take on Scrooge. Oh, that is good. That, that is good. That is good. That's, That's actually memorable. Scene. One more comment. Um, I'm really hoping this year 
we get a Star Trek Christmas special because we've never had it and it would be interesting to see if Christmas has survived and there's no better time to do it than 900 years in the future because it's yes. over to Christmas. So I think it'd be really entertaining to get a, um, a Christmas special with Star Trek. You yeah, know? I think the nearest, yes. I think we'd nearest to have ever gotten Star Trek to a Christmas special was Generations uh, when, with the scenes where Picard goes into the Nexus and he has all these flashbacks to Christmas at Chateau yeah, Picard. True. And that's that's the closest we've ever got. So, Star Trek Generations is a Christmas film, a bit like Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll give you a very, very, very quick, um, quick teaser that next week's poem for May the Verse be with you is um, how Lieutenant Worf would feel when he was made to celebrate Christmas, which is very, very grumpy indeed. So you can look forward to hearing all about that. Mm-hmm. And on that note, awesome. I think it's awesome. I think it's a good note to close the show on. Uh, so before we go, we're going to just like to wish you all a happy Christmas. Um, ben and I will be back uh, along with Mats for the um, for the annual Sci-Fi Pulse Genre Tainment crossover New Year's show. Um, we'll be recording that this weekend, uh, but Ben and I will be back for that, and we'll be probably posting that sometime around about. So around about New Year's Eve, maybe just before. Uh, but with, with that note, um, bye for now. See ya. No will, no will, no will. No will, no will.